Welcome back, Beyonders. Uh, this is the Tabletop and Beyond podcast. I am your host, Justin. I'm here with Jason hey. and special guest, Robert J. Schwab of Schwab Entertainment, the man, the myth, the legend himself. Welcome to the show again, Robert. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to be back. Yeah, we are uh, happy to have you here. You are basically waist deep at this point in your Kickstarter campaign. I wouldn't say neck deep because we still got a couple weeks to go, but uh, you're getting there. The water's rising quickly. Yeah. Kickstarter uh, campaign. I'm, I'm hoping that it continues to grow and do its its thing. It's uh, shocking how stressful <laughs> <laughs> Kickstarter can be. Well, we're excited to talk about uh, Shadow of the Weird Wizard, your Kickstarter campaign, the whole process that you've gone through with this. Um, we've been watching this since way back when, yeah. uh, during, you know, the Shadow of the Demon Lord, when we were playing that and we're seeing you. In fact, the last time you were on, I think in the middle of COVID, we asked you what was next and you had sort of alluded to this. I think it was rattling around in your brain, close to your fingertips of typing it out on the computer. Uh, and so here it is in fruition. So we're excited to talk about that with you today. So, but before... We get started. Let's do our Geek Week. Jason, how was your Geek Week, buddy? Man, well, I've been traveling uh, for my Geek Week, so I'm going to step back a little bit. Before I was traveling, I actually went on a vacation with my family, uh, had a reunion. We went to the beach. And right before that, my wife and I decided to get ready for the beach. What better to do than watch the movie The Meg, right? <laughs> so <laughs> with Jason, what Statham is that? I say his Statham, name. Yeah. 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 Also the Meg two, I think uh, was coming out at the time. So, and I tell you, man, that is a fun Megalodon shark movie. I mean, it doesn't try to pretend to be anything else than what it is. Right. I think, yeah. uh, I think, and my wife and I are just on the laugh on the couch, just like laughing our heads off. Right. Like, I think my favorite part of the movie is when the shark literally goes to the beach and just like, just like uh, the people on the in the water are just like krill to a whale, right? Its mouth is open and it's just mowing down the consuming all of these people <laughs> as it as it swims on the beach. It's hilarious. So good movie if you uh, if you can really go to the beach near the end of the summer here. Check it out, man. I'm looking I'm looking forward to finding some time after travel to go uh, see the Meg too. So that should be fun. <laughs> Rob says no to that. <laughs> <laughs> no <Nope>. hard pass, <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my daughter saw it and she's in a creative writing program in her high school. And she says, I think for one of my senior capstone projects that I'm going to do, I'm going to write a, um, I'm going to call it the Marine Adventures. Basically, this group of marine biologists that get called together whenever there's a Megalodon event. Okay. You know? And so they'll, you know, they're, they've got superpowers, but marine adventures. Okay. And All like right. totally written tongue in cheek with like the Meg in mind. You know what I mean? Is it going to be like, like a Captain this... Planet thing? You know, like our powers I combined. So. I hope so. You know, okay. <laughs> exactly. I hope so. <laughs> cool. So very good. Very good. Rob, how was your geek week? Uh, last night I watched so much Star Trek. It was, it was just amazing. Uh, so I'm a kind of a weirdo. I Big surprise. No. But no. Yeah, I know, out. I know, crazy. Uh, but like, uh, I watch one episode of a show, and then I'll watch another episode of another show, and I go through all of my different streaming services uh, in a big loop. So I never watch every. I rarely do I sit down and just plow through something because, by God, there's too much, and I want a little bit of everything. 
so uh, I, I've been after Strange New Worlds kind of you know turned me on and got me all hot yeah. and bothered, a little under the collar. Uh, I've been going back to watch uh, the 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 older shows, and so last night I watched um, finished an episode of Deep Space Nine, watched a tragically bad episode of Voyager, and uh, and There's even even worse episode of Enterprise. I also caught an episode of Lower Decks, so I've been d- digging into Star Trek. But now I'm caught up on this tour, and now I'm into the another another streaming service because that's just what I do. Now, so you've been watching. So, and and I'm going to cheat a little bit here, Rob, because I saw your Facebook post today of your kind of like a Star Trek, uh, you know, evaluations that you've kind of. Oh right, for us. right. And I'd also like to point out that I believe you read books the same way. You don't. Yeah. You have like a stack of thirty books yeah. that you read simultaneously, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. All right. So this is nothing new. It's just streaming now, right? Yeah, right. So- this is just the other part of my OCD. It's not the main part. It's just a subsection of the larger umbrella of my own personal madness. So if you had to pick a Star Trek series right now without having finished them in this moment, which one's your favorite? A Deep Space Nine. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I, um, I, I'm a huge Next Generation fan. Like, I mean, that's the one where I was like nine years old, cutting my teeth on it, right? On Star Trek. Yeah. And just like really ignited like the imagination and all that stuff. And um, uh, Deep Space Nine came on, what was it? Like the same year that Next Generation ended or maybe like a year really after close. or something like that. Yeah, yeah it was, it was really... real close. And I don't know that I gave Deep Space Nine the love that I probably should have in that moment because I was just like, well, it's not you know like it was yeah. like trying to leave one lover for another and i just couldn't do sure. it right away you know <laughs> well you know but my whole thing with star trek was that i after i got out of elementary school and middle school or elementary school really i'd go home and on channel 30 on the uhf dial you could get clad the original series and yeah. so i watched star trek and i that was how it was and i watched the classic star trek or the original series uh throughout my early childhood and so when Next Generation came on, I was I was ready for it, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I I watched the first episode or two, and then my parents divorced and everything kind of blew up. So uh, it was not a good time for me to be watching. So I lost it. I like I didn't catch really any of Next Gen until mm-hmm. uh, even like by the then you know when I got older and I was working a job, and then there were drugs and alcohol and all the other distractions of of youth and adulthood and, and later. And middle age, even, uh, you know, I, it kept me from uh, really diving into Star Trek. So it was until uh, I was dating my wife to be, uh, and when we got married, uh, we started watching DS9. I guess we started around season four. We'd watch Next Gen and reruns, and we also watched Voyager. Uh, but uh, yeah, and so I, I caught the back half of DS9, and I think that seasons four through seven are probably the best Star Trek ever. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm a, you know, that said the original series is, will always be near and dear. And yeah, I yeah. think strange new worlds is as a love letter to that style of star trekkiness. Yeah. It just makes me, makes me gooey, gooey, gooey. So Not now, voice. I mean, you <laughs> have, you have been writing RPGs, um, for, you know, a huge chunk of your life. 
do you find that like like how do you approach watching Star Trek? Because I mean, a lot of times these feel like you know mini adventures that they're on. Like, does it does it inspire you? Do you feel like it um, it speaks to you in a different way than other shows do? You know, I mean, obviously it's a lot different than a sitcom, but you know, yeah, like the episodic format or Monster of the Week or or whatever uh, or Mission of the Week really kind of it, it does. I don't think it's a it's a conscious thing, but it certainly does uh, inform my approach to writing adventures or quests or other elements for other types of things for role playing games. Because I'm I'm less I mean I like having an overarching story, but I'm less concerned about every adventure be a chapter in that story. Does that uh-huh. make sense? I'd rather yeah. like though the overarching story kind of be something that's churning in the background. Uh, that may kind of plug in at certain points or have elements that that uh, play into the plot. But I'm much more interested in kind of the here's the situation, resolve the situation, wrap it up, get out. Mm-hmm. And uh, that way, if somebody misses, you don't have to worry about them losing out on the, the big, chewy, chunky story. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think uh, that, that style appeals to me. And I think that's probably one of my bigger hangups with uh, Star Trek Discovery is that it's long form storytelling that stretches mm-hmm. out uh, and rather than being mission based, they're all kind of these extended movies, which is an interesting approach because I don't think Star Trek, obviously Star Trek never did that before in television. Uh, it just doesn't really work for me. Yeah. Ah, interesting. Interesting. I think that exact thing that you're talking about with like the, the, you know, the main kind of thread of the season or arc of the story kind of turning the background is exactly what, made me love X-Files so much, right? Oh, like yeah. you had the alien thread that was going on, but you had your, you know, swamp monster of the week or whatever it was, or, you know, kid who got electric powers or whatever it was. So that's line know. of ever uh, from any TV show was all those years of D and D taught me something about courage was a, was an X-Files line. So <laughs> that's great. Sticks with awesome. me. Yeah. yeah. It can yeah. be, it can be uh overdone though i remember the supernatural yeah. season with the leviathans oh my gosh by the end of that season i was like i don't want to see another leviathan <laughs> you yeah know, gooey black monster until you know for the rest of the series yeah right 100 percent. well my uh my geek week i've been reading glenn cook's um the black company good choice and, oh it's a great book and and i've i've um i'm in i got an omnibus of it that i'm reading so now I'm reading the part about the white rose and like they um, it's a, it is a awesomely dark military novel. You know, I mean, it's, it's so great in the sense of like, you know, no character is super sacred. There's a few that have plot armor. Obviously the narrator, his name's Croker, right? Like he's, he's the one that's writing the book. So he's going to be around obviously, you know, but um, you know, they've had some just kind of wacky deaths and gruesome deaths and, you know, people come and go and it just very much feels like a, you know, mercenary company that's in the service of someone who they absolutely hate, you know, and they hate doing it, but the money's there. Right. And so um, it's a really good, really, really good book. I assume you've read this before, Rob. And not um, only have I read it, I wrote the D20 campaign setting based on it. Did you really? Yeah. We're talking with Owen Casey Stevens and Scott Gearin way back uh, in 03. Really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Because yeah. I was I was thinking of how... So are you um, familiar with uh, Zweihander? Yeah. 
Um, so they, they came out with a Blackbirds um, RPG that was um, written by Ryan Vernier. Um, and uh, it was basically a skin for um, the Zweihander. It's basically powered by Zweihander, right? right. Um, and it's very much like a military sort of RPG style. And I was thinking that, that um, like running a black company campaign with that system would be actually pretty cool, but I yeah, just I agree. sat that, down and put it together. That would be pretty, that'd be pretty good. Yeah. I think it might even, you know, trying to bend black companies. I mean, the hardest part about that series was trying to make sense of its magic system uh, because it, <laughs> it's Cook, so didn't have, Cook doesn't have any rules for how magic works. Right. I mean, yeah. and there are like, I could be, I could have no magic at all like Croker. And then I could be silent or a goblin and yep. have like some crazy illusions and know some ritual type magic. And then, then I'm the dominator and I can level a city or the right. limper and I'm shooting lime, lime green beams across the battlefield that just cut through hundreds of people in a go and trying to balance that in like the D20, the third edition D20 system was, it was a challenge. Uh, I can, pulled it I off, can imagine it's very crunchy i can only imagine and i mean that kind of imbalance in magic though like gives it some plot mechanics of the book right that are great because like yeah. i'm at a part now where they're literally on the run from the taken you know and and uh it's like not looking good <laughs> because it's like those those suckers are hard to kill you know yeah. and there's and they, uh, they're, you know, they're, it's, you know, the equivalent of, for those of you who haven't read it, the equivalent would be like, you know, Frodo taking on one of the ring race, you know, and, and trying to come out on top, you know? So um, it was, uh, it's, it's been a great book though. I, I love reading it. And I think it, it took me a little while to get into the writing style of it because it read like, almost like um, the beginning of Apocalypse Now. Like where you know, um, uh, the, the you know the captain in Apocalypse Now is um, narrating sort of like what's going on, it's sort of like these war journals, and it it kind of gave me that vibe as I was reading it, right? Like, yeah. That, that uh, this isn't like a, a novel that you're reading; it's like you're really reading like dispatches from the war front, yep. almost. You know, so. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if this is true or not, but I, from what I understand, Black Company was written while Cook was working in a factory. And so when his press would go up, he would write a line and then it would come down and he'd do the thing and it would go up and he'd write another line. I don't, no, that I may see. be apocryphal, but uh, that was my understanding of why the books read the way the, the, the initial ones read the way they do. Which, uh, yeah, it's funny because the later ones feel more novelish. Yeah. Right? I mean, like and they... Once you get to like Water Sleeps uh, mm -hmm. and Soldiers Live, the last two books, uh, yep. it's, it's, yeah, it, it, it's almost like a completely different writer. Yeah, so same themes, but yeah, right, right. It's great though, um, and I've I've really enjoyed it. So you know that that's been my geek week is just diving back into this and and uh, you know it uh, it's been it's been really good. So yeah, great times, great times. Very geeky week for all of us. I love it. From the Meg to Star Trek to you know the Black Company, all good times. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. All right. Well, Rob, we uh, like we said in the beginning, we um, are happy to have you here on the show to talk about Shadow of the Weird Wizard. Now, um, 
I, I have to say, you know, we've been friends on Facebook for a few years now, actually. And so I have got to see um, your journey through <laughs> developing this. There's been some high highs. There's been some low lows. And there's been a whole bunch of in between as you've been cranking on this thing. So, yeah, um, yeah. Why don't we um, why don't we start um, and maybe, you know, again, sort of recap what you told us a little bit in 2020, even though you may not exactly remember. But what motivated you to develop yeah, yeah, three shadow? years on the night? Of, uh, <laughs> exactly. you know, do you remember what you said? Push your count now. Go. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> right. So the thing about. Uh, weird wizard uh what why what what kind of drove me to do this uh, came from some initial reactions to shadow of the demon lord mm-hmm. people love the game they love the mechanics they love the path system how combat works love boons and banes love all the moving parts of that game but they bounce really hard off of hateful defecation uh which is a <laughs> spell in that game the forbidden tradition they don't so much everywhere. That is right. a lightning rod spell. <laughs> it is right. I mean, it's like I know I'm playing something very different when it's got hateful defecation yeah. as yeah. an option, right? So, and, and that was, you know, that's sure. Uh, it's, it's, I, I'm a 12 year old boy and I'm German. What do you want from me? Uh, <laughs> so, uh, realizing that and that the fact that. Demon Lord is like Evil Dead, the role-playing game, meets Diablo kind of vibe, uh, Mm -hmm. meant that I was just leaving out a lot of people. Uh, So I moved pretty quickly to create a sanitized version. And by moving really quickly, this is as far back as 2015, 2016. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I started blocking in what it would look like. Uh, And at first, it was going to just be it was just going to be Demon Lord with all the filth cut out. The disney version. Right. But then I realized I'm doing a disservice to the customers because they can just do this already. Gamers can, you know, if they don't, if they want to, if they like the system enough, they can just ignore the forbidden yeah, fish. You can just can, run it that way. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't want to just do that. And so I went back and forth in design and I guess it was, and I've been, and I have been noodling with this game for a while uh, at one point, it was called Shadow of the Witch King. It was a free companies of four towers. I demoed it as free companies of four towers at uh, back in 2018 and 2017. So I've been I've been working on this for a while, um, but it didn't really start gelling until I had most of Demon Lord that I was going to do the big chunks of it kind of in hand, and I started working on it as my next game. And this was probably five years ago, and uh, the goal was to make it so that it felt like while it used the same engine uh it would look and play very differently uh so i at one point i had every magic using path had its own spells that were part of the path itself and so you got to customize your path by the spells or invocations or rituals or whatever it gave you um and there were a bunch of other mechanical changes and then I started play testing it. And then there was a lot of pushback and try to get it to be more like demon Lord. And after somewhat 60 iterations, uh, we have, you know, we're at where we are, which is basically a, a complete game. That's pretty good and done. 
uh, with a few minor tweaks here and there. Um, really, I credit the, my work with Kim Mohan, the late Kim Mohan, uh, because I guess it was in 2021, we 2022, we started working together on this to try to bring it over the finish line. And Kim, rather than just being something that I, you know, we were all spinning our wheels during the pandemic and yeah. and that, that that period. And so there was a lot of Rob just writes the game, deletes the game, writes the game, deletes the game, that kind of thing. And so we really started kind of zooming in and Kim provided a lot of structure and motivation and guidance. Uh, and unfortunately, he passed before we were able to get to this point. Uh, which is why a lot of the, you know, I've dedicated the game to him and his uh, and his legacy. And I, I'm trying to live up to all the good work that he did for D&D and other games uh, over his career. Uh, so, yeah, this is a kind of, this is a, this is kind of a big project for me that is, that has been long in the making, but it's been, and, you know, frustrating and, or vexing and, but it's also at the same time, uh, I think it's probably my best work to date. Uh, Jason, I can't hear you. Yeah. Would you say that it's been a more difficult path to get to than uh, when you uh, got to the finish line with Shadow the Demon Lord? For sure. Demon Lord, you know, it was, I had just left Wizard of the Coast. Uh, I had a lot of uh, things going on in my head. Um, you know, that game took a development direction that I disagreed with fundamentally. Uh, I still think it's a great game. Very proud of the work I did and proud of the work we did as a team. Uh, but a lot of that, um, there was a lot of tension that I needed to release in the fit in the D and D side. Yeah. So, yeah. I, and so that's, so with demon Lord, I just was like, Oh, I don't have to answer to anybody. I can just make whatever <laughs> the heck I want. Yeah. It's all coming out. Yeah. And you know, I thought like, you know, 20, 20 versions of that game was a lot, had no <laughs> idea what, uh, I was going to, what I was getting into, uh, with, with uh, weird wizard. Uh, and you know, I was able to really pull together that game really quickly um, because we, I left in 2014, did serious uh, Wizards of the Coast in 2014, right? 2013, yeah, 2014. And then I was done with, uh, we were, we Kickstarter. No, it was 2013, somewhere in there. doesn't matter. But uh, I was pretty much wrapped up with that. And then we were right out, right at Demon Lord at the end of 2015 and had the game out that, that mm -hmm. December maybe a little earlier. So it was, it was a pretty fast turnaround. And despite the fact that I had been working around the clock to get it done. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Now, um, if we were to look at, you know, if I were to take my shout of the demon Lord book and my shout of the weird wizard book, like are like, what are the similarities? What are the differences? I mean, is it a completely different game or does it still built on some of the same bones? Bones are the same. Uh, okay. I kept the I kept the most popular elements of Demon Lord, and they were became the sacred cows for this game. You're going to have uh, paths that you'll follow. You'll be able to build your character by making three major uh, decisions. Uh, okay. So you choose uh, novice path, expert path, master path. Yeah. We have traditions of magic and spells that belong to that tra those traditions, and you can get access to those traditions by choosing various paths. Uh, still use boons and banes. They still function the same way. Uh, some of the nomenclature has changed. We don't differentiate. We, we don't call attack rolls attack rolls. We don't call challenge rolls challenge rolls. 
we just call them roles, but the target never changes based on what you're doing. Uh, so it's a lot of simplification in some respects. Uh, so if you know how to play Demon Lord, uh, and if you know if then you, and you know how to play Punk Apocalyptic, it's going to be mm-hmm. easy peasy. Jump in and you're fine. Uh, there are some differences though. Um, changing my added my, you know, one of the great things about being a human being is that you can adjust your, uh, you can change your mind and you can uh, amend some of the, the feelings and ideas you had before. And one of the things that I really came to was a question of ancestries. Uh, I really, what are the, trying to get away from this idea that your ancestry can modify your, your stats mm-hmm. when all ancestries are basically occupied the same sphere of like what it, you're just a human, but you're funny sure. looking or whatever. Uh, and how to different, and so if that's the case where ancestries aren't going to, where the same range of strength and intelligence and all that stuff are possible within all the ancestries, how do you differentiate these character options from one another using more interesting mechanics than just using those the easy lever of well plus one strength minus two will or whatever? Um, and so what we did, what I did with this was that I shoved that design aside and let the mechanics really reflect what they look like, what they do, what they're capable of. And uh, and then it also freed me to get away from forcing cultural ideas onto uh, ancestry roles. Like, for example, if you are an elf, you being an elf doesn't mean that you have certain beliefs. You're just an elf and you can have whatever beliefs or attitudes or whatever you want based on your own background and your upbringing mm-hmm. and all those other things and keeping those things relatively separate. Um, there still are, you know, dwarves are going to have there will be dwarf cultures, of course, but if you yeah. are a dwarf who is raised by humans for whatever reason, and this is really minor stuff, but uh, if you're raised by humans, then you're probably not going to be any good at smithing or, right. st- or stiffing out gold because you probably have no practical experience with that mm-hmm. at all, right? So yeah. um, that was one of the big changes. Another minor change is that uh, I'm very, I was very happy with the way Demon Lord eventually landed on transition between narrative gameplay to tactical gameplay by having it just roll right so you say you're, you're talking you're going back and forth and the combat happens and then the game master says what do you do mm-hmm. and there's not a there's not a there's not a, a a weird break where you're having to determine turn order or yeah you have okay to, everybody so, do initiative roll initiative right. Right. so do we still have fast yeah. and slow turns we have uh we have three phases in, in combat. We have monster, we have sage phase, we have player phase, and we have end of the round. Okay. Uh, players can spend a resource or use a reaction to take the initiative, which allows them to act before the monsters. Mm-hmm. So it means that you don't get to do a free attack, but you get to go ahead and hit them first. And so it's a, it's a good trade-off to be able to go ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it also means that we don't have, I found that in Demon Lord, while I, I still think that it works just fine, there's a, there's a dead phase for our monsters, right? There's Eventually, fast. Well, everyone's either going fast, and so slow becomes. It just falls out of the game. It so it becomes an extra thing to think of, and so keeping it this way just keeps it going faster. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, you know, that, it's, it's it's funny. I'll I, I just drag on that. Um, my players really actually like the slow phase, believe it or not, um, because they would get hit with a like bleed or something like that, and so they're like, we need to bind these wounds before they bleed out at the yeah. end of the turn. Yeah. So they would uh, be very strategic about when they were going slow so that they could run over and 
bandaged our buddy up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or, and things like that. So yeah, we, um, we didn't do that once yeah. and we lost a guy. <laughs> yeah. and, and I was very happy to say, yes. adios. <laughs> All right. So question yeah. for you, Rob. Number yeah. one, do clockworks still have a key that can shut them down? Yes. Although it does, the ability way you shut, you only shut down if you're incapacitated and okay. weird wizard. Yeah. Uh, I think for a horror fantasy game, there is a tension that you'll always roll poorly enough that your key is just going to run down. And yeah. so that feels good in a horror game. In a <laughs> fantasy game, I don't want you to get a feel bad because I don't want you to have to worry about that tension. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, and that's why we, that's why some of the mechanics are, are a little different within the ancestries to better reflect the tone and, and the atmosphere okay. of the game. So I think I think you said something there that really kind of um, made me understand what Shadow of the Weird, Weird Wizard is better, um, in the sense of it's not a horror game. And I think I I think I already kind of intuitively knew that, but you saying that made me understand what the real difference between Shadow of the Demon Lord and Shadow of the Weird Wizard is. Right? Is one's horror, one's not. You know, one's playing Call of Cthulhu, the other one's playing RuneQuest. Like I, you know, yeah. what I mean, like that's maybe a crude comparison. Yeah, that's, but, that's you know, fair. Yeah, and you know. and that's kind of, and that was a, that's probably that's really a big part of what took so long was that Demon Lord's underlying math is built to deliver a horror fantasy experience. Yeah. Weird Wizard is built to deliver a fantastical heroic experience, and so that means characters have to be more durable. They've got to be able to have flashier effects. They've got to be more powerful, uh, and it's got to happen at at a slightly different rate and at a and at a higher plateau than Demon Lord characters do. So you'll see Master Paths, for example, are chunkier than they are in uh, Demon Lord. Uh, we use uh, bonus damage dice as a, that's a whole separate discussion, but we use a bunch of other things for like bonus damage dice lets you perform combat stunts and maneuvers that are widely available to create a more cinematic experience. Uh, so there, there's a, there are a bunch of these things in play to kind to not kind of, but to certainly give you that feeling that I am a capable individual who is helping these people who are fleeing the destruction of the old of the old country as they're getting settled in this borderland area. Uh, and because these folks are on the run and they've left, they've lost everything. It's already baked into the game that you are heroes because you're the most competent people to be able to protect these newcomers uh, from whatever horrors or creations that are out there. So yeah, it's a total, it's a, it, Everything was kind of. I, re, I reconsidered everything from the ground up uh, oh. in this in this design to ensure that uh, I deliver what I'm promising. Do you uh, do player because it's more of an epic, you know, journey towards uh, being this, you know, awesome hero? Do players feel more powerful sooner, or you said that the plateau is a little bit different, or does the does it does it kind of slow down and then really ramp up at the end? How does it feel if I'm playing a character in terms of becoming powerful? You are never going to start off being a peasant in this game, right? Mm -hmm. You're not you're not tilling a field, and you are already really competent right out of the gate. Uh, you have you're you're durable, you're, you're tough. You can you can dish out some damage. You've got the right spells to to solve problems, uh, and you have and because we 
yeah, there, you're, there's really, you feel pretty capable right out of the gate. Uh, when you get, to, and but like, just like Demon Lord, uh, you know, I want to make sure that you're not having to absorb a bunch of things all at once. So those options, while you are capable, uh, you're not overwhelmed with a whole lot of things to keep track of. You know, you might have four spells and you might have a couple of magic talents, but that's really all you have to worry about for your first level. When you get to level two, when your group gets to level two, you get a, another burst of cool toys to play with. Uh, and it continues as you go. And the great thing, what I think is great about this game is that uh, you it encourages mastery because you just have one tool set you're monkeying with at a time. And once you've mastered it, you can then move it to the next level and get your next set of toys and you can master those in conjunction with what you have. And so by the time you're done, you have a ton of things you can do, but you already know how all that other stuff works because yeah. you've been gradually building it up as you go. Cool. Um, so one of you know one of the hallmarks of Shadow of the Demon Lord was how lethal that sucker was, right? Like, I mean, I remember listening to one of your podcasts that you were <laughs> that you had done. You're running a game out of your basement, and you're like, "Yeah, this bandit comes up with a longbow and sh shot this guy like literally one shot him, like first shot out of the game, like he's dead." You know, um, I'm assuming that with Shadow of the Weird Wizard, it may not feel quite as lethal. Um, right. For, right. for the characters, right? Uh, you, for if, if uh, yeah, if you're not gonna you're not gonna have to worry about taking that kind of shot right out of the gate. Um, <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, I loved it. I thought it, it was, was hilarious, crazy, right? You know? it, it, in yeah. fact, it just came up. Uh, I, I ran a, a a hilariously bad session of Weird Wizard that devolved into Demon Lord against my will. <laughs> uh, Awesome. But uh, the, one of the, that, that player who who spent that time making that clockwork that that clockwork character, he mentioned it to me. I had forgotten all about it. He was like, "Yeah, my dude, just you know, was walking, you you killed me in one shot. The first thing I did in the game." And it was like, "Well, <laughs> you know, it is Demon Lord, <laughs> right? It's kind of on the tin." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we had a player in Demon Lord one time that survived this giant like combat thing and he looked under this table because he shot a shadow move it was a shadow monster and um he was frightened and he looked at it and it scared him again and um with it he rolled a one on the d20 which meant he literally had a heart attack and died you know and <laughs> like he had survived this whole big old combat and everything and he's like ah! and like literally killed over and died and i'm like Dude, i'm sorry there's nothing he I brings do that up he has brought that up so many times over the past like four years. Yeah. To me, every time he says, "Hey, remember that time I had that heart attack?" Mission <laughs> <laughs> accomplished. Yeah, yeah right. exactly, exactly. So you know, and and I'm like, I'm okay going into Shadow of the Word Wizard, knowing like it's not as lethal for your players, right? I mean, that's one thing that I did need to explain to my players in playing Shadow of the Demon Lord was like. Guys, have a backup character ready. Just have it ready. And you can keep leveling it up as you level up so that we'll just insert it right in and, and keep yeah. playing or whatever. But just be ready for your characters to die in horrific ways and stupid ways and funny ways. Like, I mean, they just die. Um, but shout out the word wizard. It doesn't sound like I need to have quite that conversation with him. No, I, assume, I assume that they can probably still die, but just not as frequently sure. or as often. I mean, they're, they're, they're you know... We've... The one of the when, when you're building a game, any kind of game like this, uh, there's only so much you can do to insulate the players from themselves. Yeah. Uh, there, there are going to be times when the dice are cold, 
there'll be times when players make decisions that everybody comes to regret. Uh, and, you know, and, and there's, he's also, he, there's no reason why you can't run weird wizard like you would a, an old school style OSR game where, mm-hmm. you know, there's a dragon over three hexes away and your group is level one. There's nothing stopping you from going to go mess with this guy. Yeah. And and there are big are big evil bad guys the the type six demon and the dragon and the deep worm and the leviathan the incarnations they're all really scary and they can kill you your characters of course uh, not your players that would be yeah. really weird and cool uh, <laughs> but uh, you know the, they are they they occupy a, a, a spot in the game where if you do get killed by the dragon you're not probably fighting the dragon until the very end and mm-hmm. at the very end usually somebody's gonna die in the process because that's what heroic adventure is all about is a great noble sacrifice yeah. Uh, so yeah. yeah yeah go ahead um so I was thinking about that a little bit uh the i know you notice you use you call earth with the same spelling is this you know shadow of the demon lord took place in started at least in the northern reach is this the same planet but a different time period in a different place or just a totally different setting it is uh in the same cosmology okay okay uh earth spelled with an e-r-t-h where earth is spelled u-r-t-h that's my oh my, that's the that's difference okay. my big yep. uh honor to uh mr gygax who had all the different versions of o-earth and earth and earth and all of those places it's totally to show my affection for the granddaddy of them all. But uh, this world exists somewhere through the void mm-hmm. and it's somewhere okay. else. Uh, that means that what is true in Demon Lord could be true in Weird Wizard. Mm. And there are elements that I have seeded into this game for fans of Demon Lord and they're, they're, they're Easter eggs uh, that gives you an opportunity to, if you wanted to, bring some of that evil deadness into your games. Are we going to find a crack in the void somewhere? Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> we did it. We did unlock Howl of the Void, which is a... Ah, yes. Right. So we've got a, a book of demons and the void and all that stuff. Now, will I will will I talk about the, the demon lord? You might get a mention, but we're probably going to focus on the misbegotten son of Father Death, Abaddon the Destroyer, who has been exiled from reality and is, ling- is lurking in the shadows of the void, waiting for his chance to break. Oh, it could be the same thing, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Just like uh, in your um, uh, supplement that you had with the uh, with the elves, right? That um, the the new. Um, I'm, I'm I'm mixing up words here. The the god of the new what is it the, the new, new cult, the, the new god right um, was really basically Satan in the yep. in the world right yeah so so uh, father father of death uh, Abaddon I guess you're calling him he he may well, be one and the same fa- the, the 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 mythology of this game uh, posits that uh, father death created the universe in order to create death and only for death to to exist you have to have life and so he seeded this world of life and then his he created this pantheon grows up around him 
And there are the older gods and then there are the newer gods that kind of live in this extended pantheon, the circle of 13. Uh, then there is the church of the high one. And the high one is an interloper deity that came from somewhere else uh, mm. who uh, drove the adversary out of paradise, which he had conquered from some other uh, primordial figure and cast him down into the netherworld. Uh, we don't know much about the adversary in this game yet. Uh, I, I love this lore. I just drink it up, man. It's awesome. That's good. Yeah, good. I, I love the mix of these common themes from like, you know, people who brought up with Christianity and you could like, you get this little feel of it, but then there's a twist in there that, you know, changes what you're, what's in your head. I just love it. I, I was, I was really surprised by the reaction to uh, exquisite agony was where we revealed yep. that uh, the new God is actually just a mask of the adversary uh, or the devil. Um, Man, people just did not like that at all. Oh, really? Oh, man, yeah, really? that was awesome. It, it was, it's yeah. it's so bleak. It is so bleak. <laughs> That's true. I mean, I it's mean... just, it was, like, to me, it was amazing, because I'm like, here's all these cult of the new god, like, you know, inquisitors and priests and stuff like that, basically out there doing the bidding of the person who, like, they're trying yeah. to fight against. Like, it just right. was amazing. Right? I thought it so, was perfect. I mean, you, when you seems... start playing this game, when you start playing this game, you tell them the world is dying, like it will come to an end soon. Yeah. And then this happens, like it told you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, I had, uh, I had a guy who played basically a super zealot of the cult of the new god, and um, he, like, I did a little side mission with him where he ended up like toning in on this nun, but she, she knew the truth of it and she was still the worshiper like she was a zealot herself oh and wow basically imbued him with this like power of knowledge and like it, it it really like turned his character like he was like all super righteous and then like all of a sudden he was just like you know i am bringing about the master's will <laughs> you know and so it was it was pretty epic uh that was near the end of our campaign but it was a uh, but that was a fun thing to play right because it's like you know, that lore really allowed kind of this sort of snake in the grass in a sense to, to, to be there, you know? So, yeah. But, uh, but uh, we could talk shadow of the demon lore with you yeah. all day. We, we ran that game so much. We just loved it, but, but weird wizards. So back, back to that. Right. So let me ask you, um, are there any ancestries you've created that you feel are unique to this over other things or ones that you like the most? Right. So there, there's a, there's an ancestry called the Deva, uh, and I was, and it's, it went through a couple different versions. Uh, I had wanted to have like an angel type dude, but I didn't really want to make it an angel type dude because I already had the Archon and Archons. Let me talk about the Archon first. Uh, so the, there are, uh, every God has angels in this world. So you father death has angels are called Reapers or Valkyrie. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the, father death has those then fury, um, which is the goddess of war. She has Valkyrie and you've got uh, these big leshies that walk around that are servants of uh, grandfather tree. And then there's a, there's a fungal, there's all sorts of angels, right? And they manifest in the world and they do the bidding of the gods. But the high one has all these seraphs and they are metal skinned humanoid people that look like angels, but they're androgynous uh, and they have no free will at all. Their job is to carry out the, the, the mission, whatever, follow the orders of the high one and never deviate. 
If they deviate at all or develop any personality, the high one rips off their wings and throws them out of heaven. And they uh, are condemned to wander the world until uh, they find the embrace of oblivion because they have no souls either. There's, they're, they're just constructs, basically. Uh, so archons are one thing, but they also, but I felt like that covered that because I felt that it was interesting for a heroic game to be an edgy type character, but without, but you could still, you could have gained free will and maybe it was a high one's will that you gained free will hmm. uh, so that you could do something in the moral world without divine intervention, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. There's a way you can, you can, you can bend that to still be, a, you could completely be heroic. Uh, and in fact, there's an adventure I'm writing right now or a quest I'm writing called uh, Burning Feathers, uh, which is about an archon who is so disillusioned, he becomes this terrifying villain and your characters are having to track him down and outwit him before he burns down all the temples of the high one in this particular region. So yeah, that's, but the other one, what I'm really excited about is that Deva, uh, so I thought about like the Atlantis myth and I was thinking about like why gods would uh, wipe out a mortal civilization. And so I invented this uh, civilization called Araldia and they're for some civilization from the ancient, ancient past. And they had decided that the gods were not worthy of worship and they could become like them. And so the gods decided the father death particularly just said enough and wiped them out. But to save their civilization, they migrated their souls, which was an actual thing, into these shards, these crystals, and they seeded them throughout the, the world and where they have lain dormant for all this time. So you, if you're a human, you run across one of these things, you can pick it up and uh, it awakens a crystal and then you can make a, you can bond with the entity. And so the soul essence moves out of the crystal into your character. And so you have this luminous being that lives inside of you. And so when you're playing, you can have your luminous symbiote uh, leave your body and also participate in combat and do other things too, which is kind of neat. So it gives you like an ability to play wow, cool. two characters at once, and then that character can then merge back with you. And and if the, if the luminous symbiote dies, you just turn back into a human, no harm, no foul. But it does it does create a cool way to individuate your character from everybody else because you get to do this special thing. And, you know, there's going to be like the usual suspects. We've got hobgoblins and dwarves and clockworks and woodwoses and other stuff like that. But the devas were, were pretty interesting. Is the deva, um, does he take control of the human or is it more of like a symbiotic relationship where they're two together? Two together. Decisions together. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So it's like Venom. It's, uh, <laughs> if you, do you watch the Doom Patrol? Oh, yeah. Okay. So it's like the doctor, the guy with the the, the mummy wrappings. Yep. Okay. That, he was my inspiration for this for this archetype. Nice, nice. Okay. okay. Cool. All right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, let me pull up your Kickstarter page here because we still have two weeks left in your um, Kickstarter campaign. Which, if our listeners are at this point right now, you should also go to the Kickstarter campaign. And if you have not already pledged do so um you can see here rob that i've already backed this i backed this day thank, one you thank know. you kitten <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> so, brown uh, can we go to the yeah right no. exactly <laughs> um so uh you are well past your goal that you had set out i think you blew past this in like the first 15 minutes maybe 
Yeah, we found it pretty fast. Yeah. I think at day one, we did all that Demon Lord did in the first day, which was really exciting and also terrifying. Yeah. Uh, But, you know. So that's that's the amazing thing is like if you know if folks are like oh I don't know about Kickstarter I don't know if I should do it I mean this is already funded which means things are moving out so like hop on the train because the train's rolling right so um, it's not like uh, some of those like uh, hey well you know we want a million dollars and we'll come out with a video game maybe one day you know like this is already funded and ready to go and it's also probably worth mentioning too the game's already written it's an editing right. and we're waiting on art and all that stuff has been ordered it's all on it's all in the works absolutely so let's look let's look and see what we have here um so you have the game right um this uh like you said the game is written um and i want to pull up the books here so this is the shadow of the weird wizard book it's a 350 page full color hardback and digital book and I think the first uh, level that you get the actual books in hand is the um, it's the expert level, right? Right. Yes. So the expert wizard, you get a, a copy of the Shadow of the Weird Wizard and Secrets of the Weird Wizard. Now, what's the difference between those two books? The Shadow of the Weird Wizard book gives you everything that you need to know as a player. Uh, it's also okay. important for the Sage, which is also what we call Game Masters. Uh, the the uh, so it has all the, the core rules, magic, all the paths, equipment, uh, and then character creation, of course. The secrets of the weird wizard is, gives you the sage advice. See where I would, where I was going with that. Uh, sage advice chapter. It gives you uh, the setting, the, which covers the borderlands and a little bit beyond. And then it also gives you a really really chunky bestiary. So you have plenty of things to mm, play. With. Nice. Also, the Secrets of the Weird Wizard is the home for all ancestries other than human, uh, which puts the access to these other ancestries in the hands of the the Game Master on purpose because uh, the story that we're trying to tell with Weird Wizard is very human to begin with. And as you play the game, you'll have opportunities to encounter new peoples, and those characters can kind of organically enter your campaigns Mm. And as you become more familiar with the game, you'll, as a sage, you'll probably decide to open it up to more options. So if you want to play uh, a centaur or uh, a rabbit person or whatever, those options will be there. Awesome. Yeah, very cool. Um, And uh, now I remember, like, this is one of the things that stood out to me right here, which is 33 Traditions of Magic. (laughs) which is a lot each with uh, four magical talents and 18 spells for each. So I'm trying to do the math here. 33 times 18 is like 500. It's a whole lot. It's a whole lot. And (laughs) let me tell you, it, it was a, so if you, if you're a demon, if you come to this game from demon Lord, demon Lord broke spells into ranks. So spells were rank zero, one, two, three, four, five, six through 10. Uh, What we did, what I did with this one was like, collapsed spells down into three basic categories novice expert master mm-hmm. uh and that lets those spells do what they need to do and i've got enough wiggle room uh when you cast an, an expert spell feels a lot more powerful than a novice spell you're going to notice a mm-hmm. big difference when you get your expert path and you fire off uh, a fireball or you 
take over somebody or do something else, right? All those spells feel chunkier. And then when you're raining stars out of the sky at master at the master path, you're going to feel pretty badass. Nice. One of the things that I loved about Demon Lord that I feel like is, you know, and 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 correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like it's going to be in here is that your spell traditions um, were very unique. Like you had like the Chronomancer tradition or the um, was it the teleportation tradition? Right. Where you could like, you know, I mean, like you had that uh, one where you um, could teleport into the future and. <laughs> And you know, or and and see something right, and if it went wrong, like you ended up coming back as like a really old person or something like that, right? Um, you know, <laughs> so um, you know, like I mean, they 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 were super unique. I really loved like the song tradition that you had, right? Like the singer, um, tradition, and so I feel like with thirty three, um, this isn't this isn't like D and D five E that is just like, okay, well, here's your frost spells. Okay. Here's your sorcerer spells. Here's your, you know, I mean, like it, like every tradition felt super unique and I loved it about that. We ch I try to keep to that as close as I could uh, with the, it's important that spells be the thing that differentiate uh, spell casters from each other. So you could both, you could have a group of four, mm -hmm. Uh, magicians in your group and then each of them play very differently uh you might have one who's uh into war magic and that person who's into war magic is you know moving around the battlefield and chopping up bad guys uh while you might have a diviner who is manipulating dice because they're anticipating the future or they're revealing unspeakable truths about this bad guy's fate which then causes them to have all sorts of ennui and angst uh, so you've got it's the, because the way the traditions are structured that you can then uh, more than in Demon Lord you can completely focus on one tradition where if you just want to be mm -hmm. I want to be pyromancy all the way you can go the, they can go that route and uh, and, and you know, completely fire or you can diversify and have all sorts of fun toys in your toolbox or your toy box rather. Yeah, I think um, like for example, I. I can't tell you what the difference between a wizard and a sorcerer in D and D is, other than maybe one has a spell book and one the wild magic. Use, yeah. You know, I mean, like maybe, like you know, because the thing is, is both of them can take fireball. You know what I mean? Like both of them can take like the same spells, and so um, you what that ends up doing is you end up um, min maxing a little bit with your spells, so that everybody's got kind of the same spells, and nobody feels unique except for maybe some of their mechanics that they do or or someone who like intentionally wants to feel unique right right exactly so they drive they drive their character development that way but it's it's easy to fall in it's really easy to fall into a mold that feels the same all right it's the caster's turn which one doesn't matter just it's the caster's turn yeah exactly and and like this one i i feel like um you know you like you said you could play you could play very much a support role with your magic user you know like this this the song traditions and demon lord like was very much a support role that they would do um you know and and uh so i'm i'm looking forward to digging into these because if they if they feel as unique as they did before um in your previous game then i'm i'm a happy i'm a happy camper okay so you know? all right so give us a spell what's a spell that's on the top of your head that you think would is a fun one in this game uh, summon the maggot of Shagraza, I think. 
uh, it is, uh, there's a mythical city and it's crawling with larva and you pluck one from this mythical city and cause it to appear in front of you. It wails as it's out. And then after a certain period of time, it will transform into a, uh, a, a human headed fly and wreak havoc on your bad guys. That's, that is an edgier spell. It belongs to the Eldritch <laughs> tradition. Uh, so it's probably not for everybody. Uh, there, the chronomancy uh, tradition is just loaded with all sorts of cool things. I kept the idea of being able to summon yourself from the future so yeah. you can kind of help yourself out. Um, and then the That's ability so to jump through time. Uh, we have uh, all the elemental style traditions let you bind uh, a spirit called a Numa to the elements and so you can turn them into henchmen. Um, we've got uh, there's another Eldritch spell that I really, really love, which is called the Pale Rider after a Tom Waits album. Uh, but it summons this creepy old dude who shows up on your back and gums the top of your head and rides you like a horse. And so, <laughs> so it's it's supposed to like terrify the target. Uh, so it's, it's just stuff like that, right? I mean, it's also going to have a lot of the expected things too. You need a flying platform, or you want to secure your area, or create summon a boat. Yeah, uh, all those kinds of things are in there too. One thing that is different. Uh, is uh, every tradition includes, it's mentioned there, but four magical talents. When you get a tradition, you get a talent for free from that tradition. And so the uh, aromancy tradition, for example, lets you call down a bolt of lightning to energize yourself. And so for a period of time, you're crackling electricity and you're going to do cool stuff. Um, and the tradition has it on a timer or gives you a number of uses. So that's, that's kind of fun. Um, but they change your character in more meaningful ways than just being able to cast a spell and forget about it. So these are more lasting effects or they may tweak you in some way. Very cool. That's one thing that I did like about um, some of your support spells that you had, like the, you, you talked about the battle magic and shout of the demon Lord, you know, like you would cast that on yourself. And I mean, you would just be like running and ducking and weaving and chopping and hacking. And I mean, it really had some like, it, it was more than like in D and D where it'd be like, okay, blessed blade. Like you touch the blade and sure you get extra damage. Like it really felt like you were felt like battle using magic. this battle magic, yeah. Yeah. you know? And so um, I'm looking forward to that kind of stuff in the, in the shadow of the weird wizard here. Um, one of the, so we talked about secrets of the weird wizard. I mean, this is in itself is no, no slouch either at 325 pages. So you're looking at like, you know, if you do the $99 pledge for physical books, you're looking at like, you know, 675 pages. It's probably be a little bit more than that. Yeah. Uh, just the, plus you get all the stretch goals. Yes, exactly. Which um, let's talk. Uh, oh, and, you know, of course you get the one bad apple. This is the um, Jason. Jason ran at um, Gen Con. The what was it? Uh, at, what, the apple. Uh, the apple in her. um uh... Apple in her eye. I know. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. That was a long time ago. But, yes. <laughs> yeah, he ran that at Gen Con. For Shadow yeah, Redeemer. that was great. Great. So, yeah. yeah, one bad apple. But let's talk about, um, so you can get some miniatures, too, if you're totally into it. And these are great-looking miniatures, too, by the way. Um, but uh, the stretch goals. This is really, this is like the, this is the thing that excites me so much about this is, I mean, you, like, within the first, like, three days, like, blew through your initial set of, 
stretch goals. And I think on one hand, you're probably super psyched about it. But on the other hand, you're like, oh, my gosh, that's so much Yeah, hope you have a comfortable chair to sit in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, as I, I, you know, it is it does look like a lot. Um, I think what you're going to get by backing the Kickstarter is a full line. Mm-hmm. Um because what you were seeing here is pretty much everything I would do for this game anyway, plus yeah. a few other things. Um, you know, you, you probably noticed there's a lot of quests. Uh, I think yeah. now we're up to 30. We get the two 10 quests, uh, stretch goals, plus the 290 gave us 10 more, plus the one that you get for back in the campaign to start with. There's 31 quests, plus two campaigns, Rage of the Goblin yeah. thing. And there's the other one that's uh, Fury of the Ancient One. No, that may be something else. Uh, um, yeah, there was there, one. There was definitely one other one in there. Right, it's probably fewer of the ancient ones. Yeah. Um, so you, which would give you each of those as ten quests as well. So it's, now we're up to fifty-one. Yeah. Um, it's important to me to make sure that uh, you have a playable game. Um, often a game will come out and there's just not a lot of adventure content. You just have the game, but not a lot to do with it, and it's more important for me to make as many adventures as possible so that people can have no excuse. Right. It's like, well, I I can jump in and play whatever I want, whatever I want. I mean, that's like, uh, if you think that most groups play either once every two weeks or sometimes once a month, that's like years of content. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. You know, it's, it's funny you say that I am looking at my shelf right now. And I picked up the Witcher RPG like three or four years ago, four years ago, right? When it came out, I was really excited about it. This is before the Netflix show made it super popular, but I had read all the Witcher books, you know, and so our Talsorian kind of made this Witcher game. Yeah. I picked it up and I read it and I said, all right, well, now what am I going to do with this? Do you know what I mean? Because there was, there's no other content. Like I'd really have to kind of make my own campaign. No, and I just, I, and I just, was like I don't know how I'm going to do that with this with this core rule book, you know. Um, and so having all of these quests, right? You got the novice quest that comes with a Kickstarter. That's the one, right? And then you got the the thirty quest plus the other campaigns. Like, I mean, you've got so many places that you can start uh, to play this game. And one of the things that I know Jason and I have talked about on our podcast before that we love about Schwab Entertainment is your support for your games that you have like the um the uh shout of the demon lord would come out with a game and it it'd be like a little session right it's like a little adventure and it was like two or three dollars to pick it up and play and it was just like was such an easy entry to just keep playing your game and um you know having all of this stuff (coughs) excuse me definitely feels the same way yeah, and I mean, you know, those were, uh, Rob, it's just an amazing way that you give to the community because $3 for six friends to sit around a table and play for four hours, that's just, you know, how else can you get that level of, like, entertainment for dollar value? You know, it's it's really good. Yeah, I mean, the the, the adventures just, uh, you know, I don't, I, I'm not going to lie and say I make a lot of money on the adventures, right? It's, uh, you it's common knowledge that adventure content sells one fifth of the amount that you'll sell of anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as advertising goes, uh, and, uh, encouraging people to pick up the rule book, it, it it's, uh, yeah, 
I, I don't understand why more people don't do it. But I also, you know, it's, they're expensive to make. And unless, you know, I'm the principal designer for everything that comes out for my company. So I do almost all the writing. So and writing's free, right? So it's, it's yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I mean, your time, your time is not free, right? But uh, I mean, you 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 do it for your company. You don't have to pay a writer, is what you're saying, basically. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, um, absolutely. And so, I, I guess my question is this: is like you're you're coming out. This is way more content than the Demon Lord Kickstarter had on its initial pass, right? And like I told you, I I backed this for ninety nine dollars, and I feel like I'm getting way more than my money's worth here. You know, like it's um. Like I'm, it's such an amazing value um, with all of these unlocked stretch goals. Do you um, see? Um, you, you talked about like this is pretty much all the content that you may have for this game. Do you see yourself like producing more adventures or background? You know, like you used to have like um, kind of like uh, supplements that would focus on the halflings or supplements that would focus on the northern regions or Kakris or something like that that would kind of give a little bit more flavor or background, right? Or, extra things like that. Do you see yourself kind of putting out more things like that for Weird Wizard? I do. Uh, I think that, you know, we're always going to be, I'll always be publishing quests for the game. There are lots of places to explore. Um, and, you know, if we get to the crazy level of Lost Lands of Earth, that uh, basically triples or quadruples the size of the, the world. So you've got all sorts of other places to explore, yeah. which then gives me fertile ground for growing new product because I can explore, uh, I can reveal uh, more details about, uh, you know, where the sphinxes come from or uh, maybe a, a whole campaign based on descending into uh, an underwater campaign where you go to Lost Aralia or uh, any other, you know, all sorts of other places we can go. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely think that we're going to, this is just going to be the starting point. Uh, I'll do this until I get tired of it, which is probably, you know, it demon, it like somebody, I did a, a, another uh, stream earlier tonight and uh, they asked, I was asked if I was going to, if Demon Lord was going to continue. And, you know, my answer is like, Demon Lord's not going anywhere because uh, I still have more stuff to tell and it's a different yeah. game. Uh, there's more stuff to show you and more ways for me to be angry and vent it onto <laughs> the page. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Now, one of the things that um, I have seen, again, we talked about the ups and downs of, of bringing this to market, right? And some of the downs that I have seen, uh, like on your Facebook page, has been dealing with the Kickstarter process, right? Um, you, I, I think you said Kickstarter may be the end of me at one point, you know? <laughs> yeah, it, it's a lot. Um, you know, I, there's the the you know this kickstarter itself is deceptively simple you don't have to mm -hmm. do much to get it out there but uh to be successful you have to do a lot and i've spent the last three years four years five years uh well, four years pretty much turtled up right uh you know mm -hmm. with the pandemic and then uh my in-laws uh both had uh, sharp declines in their health uh led to my wife having to live with them and then my step that they both passed and then my stepfather passed and then Kim Mohan passed and I lost two animals. I've been pretty much locked inside of my own little world. And, you know, this, the, you know, 
this was pretty much me going back and saying, "Hey, I'm still making games. I'm still yeah. doing stuff." And that it is it is a it is a very stressful experience to try to knock off that rust and get back out there and 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 talk in a in a polite manner instead of you know, shrinking into the void as I've been for the previous couple of years. So it is a, and there are a lot of plays to spin. Uh, you know, you get uh, it's being active on social media and uh, obviously doing streams, which are always fun. Uh, but uh, then of course there are the intricacies of, of the Kickstarter itself, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Cancel pledges are, are always exciting. Uh, to see why that happens, because you lead you doesn't matter how successful the campaign can be. You see a canceled pledge, and then it's like, what did I do? What did I say? Yeah. What right. happened that uh, that I could not hold this person for thirty days? Uh, and so that that of course is just like a, but uh, it just chews at you. So, but that's it's just all part of it. And it seems like you know that there is a rhythm to especially rpg campaigns and and board games to a certain extent as well which is you know it initially hits and there's a huge wave in the beginning right like the first three days you end up um like if you're a, a popular kickstarter you may blow through your um you know your initial ask and through many of your stretch stretch goals and things like that which i think we saw with this campaign and then um and then it either goes to a little bit more steady stream, right? It's not as exponential as it was in the beginning. It kind of like levels off a little bit um, or it stagnates a little bit. And then near the end, then you'll see kind of a rush of those people that were on the fence about it before that end up wanting to get in. Um, so it's kind of a like a two two waves, like a beginning and end wave with some doldrums in the middle, it seems like. Yeah, that's the, the doldrums are the tough part. Uh, I yeah. mean, in the because Demon Lord and this one are both 30-day campaign. We're mm -hmm. both been 30-day campaigns. Uh, in previous campaigns, I experimented with shorter to just skip over that dead that dead time that happens in the middle. I don't know that that helped me or not. I mean, they were they were much more focused on we're delivering a very particular product for a yeah. game, uh, and they didn't come anywhere close to this. But uh, they were. Uh, they were they they funded. That's what that's what that's what's important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, now one of the things that I thought it was interesting was your stretch goal update um, upgrade, right? Which was um, uh, that uh, with that, um, everybody who backed, I think ninety nine and above, um, were given print on demand coupons. Right where right. they could pay uh, pay uh, cost for any book that was over ninety 32, pages. Thirty two pages. Thirty two pages. Okay, thirty two pages. Um, which is a lot of like the, for example, the the Halls of the Mountain King, the Rage of the Goblin King campaign, right? right. Like a lot of these source books is, are about 30, um, 30 pages. So you could do a print on demand, and um, you, you did that with your last um Kickstarter. Which was the um, spells one for uh, Shadow uh, of the Demon Lord? Right, occult right. philosophy. Yeah, occult philosophy. So that um, I, I I was very interested to see that in the stretch goal upgrade because I can absolutely see myself paying for that print on demand books and have the collection on my shelf. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah, and it's it's a the the reason for delaying that release is that it's extra work. We have to. Mm -hmm. 
the digital, the guts of that file are effectively the same, although they're at a higher resolution for printing. But then we have to have a, a we have to design the cover differently, and we have to have a wrap yeah. cover and all that extra stuff. So it's a little bit extra work for uh, Kara, who does handles all my layout and graphic design. But um, yeah, it just I don't want to have to stop people from getting the cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The, all right. So the last question I have for you, and I, and I know we're kind of a little over what we had said for time, but the conversation has been so engaging. Um, the, <laughs> the last question I have for you is when this comes out, right. Which I think you said that um, it will ship uh, early next year. What did I, uh, August, 2024. So right. in, in about a year. Um is, are there plans to bring this to any conventions? Are you planning to do the tour like you used to? Um, the pandemic put a big, put a big giant on hold for you. I know for uh, a lot of conventions and things like that. But, yeah. Uh, so you know. I'm going to be at uh, UConn in Ann Arbor this November. Okay. Uh, looks like I will probably be at GaryCon, although I'm not sure that I'm going to be a guest. I think I'm just going to go. Uh, and I might not even actually attend the show. I just may be at the hotel drinking beer at the bar. Uh, that, <laughs> Fair enough. That, that may be what I do. Uh, and then I've got a show in Phoenix in March. That's Gary Khan's also in March. So it'd be next okay. year. And then uh, that's all I have scheduled right now. I, uh, Game Hole Con for 2024 is probably in the mix. I'm not sure how much I'm going to take this on the road. Yeah. Um, I don't know. As I'm getting close to 50, I'm, I'm finding that it's, uh, it's less and less exciting for me. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. No, listen, I, 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 to I totally get that. And, you know, it's one thing to attend some of these conventions and, and just be there, you know, as someone to just kind of schmooze around with people and another thing to actually put in the work and like, you know, run game after game after game. We we played Dragon Bane, which was a free leagues game yeah. that just uh, they had just re released, and the GM that had run our game, he's like, "This is the fiftieth session that I have done this year, of this," and because he'd been going from con to con to con to yeah. con to con, and that's the only thing he was running. Like every four hours at Gen Con, he was running a different session. And I'm like, I don't think I could do it, buddy. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, the most intense uh, weekend I had was uh, Gary Con when I was running the Demon Lord Kickstarter. And that show ran, I thought it was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And it was 369. I think I ran 10 sessions that weekend. Oh, my gosh. And oh. it, it was about as close to and I, while running a kickstarter right so between every yeah. adventure i'd get an hour break and frantically check the kickstarter page to see if i if my four hours of, pledged. right yeah. which is like selling you know encyclopedias right it's like one <laughs> it's like going door to door to hey kid you want to buy a bible it's just kind of <laughs> it's not the most uh wise use of my time but uh yeah but I do like running games, especially at conventions. Uh, I think OrcaCon was had a really great program because you only were on the hook for a two-hour slot, so oh, you only, have to, which was great because you could just you be there long enough to teach the teach the game, and because Demon Lord is really easy to learn, you can go in, give them the nuts and bolts in ten minutes, tell a cool story, and then everybody's and then they leave on a high note. No one's no one's mm -hmm. kind of glazing over. Yeah. Or, yeah, so it's good stuff. 
Well, I tell you the well, year that we went to Gen Con and we ran, we literally had a room in the bottom of a Marriott and there were just two tables, me and Justin, and we were running Shadow the Demon Lords and we had full tables like the whole con. Awesome. And it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, but there was a lot of running events. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. so, we did it for the GM badge and you had to do like a certain amount so of much, player yeah. hours. You but know, it was so, so fun. Cool. Yeah. Made some friends that I'm still good. friends with today that live awesome. across the country and we still keep in touch. Yeah. So it's pretty good stuff. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well, thanks so. for you know running those games. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, well, well uh, know, looking forward to running some weird wizard. Hell yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Because it, ha- it had it not been for some random guy, and I, and I wish I knew his name because we didn't really get to know him. I can but picture he was him running. A, I know, me too. Know he was running a Shadow of the Demon Lord game, and Jason and I had a, an opening on our schedule. And we're like, well, let's try this out. This sounds interesting. And that was 2017, I think, Jason? Yeah, it was 2017. Like it was somewhere in there, yeah. Right. Maybe 2016. What, I think it was the year years? right after Kickstarter, so it might have been 16. Yeah, and uh, he ran um, a year without rain, and we played that game, and we were like, "We're in. Yeah. We're totally hooked." I walked we, out of that. I walked out of that and literally ordered the book from yeah. Amazon. We went and, and canceled our D and D campaign. We told everyone, "See ya." And yeah. then, <laughs> <laughs> so you know i'm i you know even if i don't do this for the gm badge next year or whenever at um gen con like maybe i'll just run a session because i just you know love just playing the game fun. or something like yeah. that you know which would be i think a ton of fun that's what this is all so, about anyways yeah. yeah so rob thank you so much for being on the show we appreciate your insight your humor your dark humor and uh you know we didn't mention any mayonnaise this uh no mayonnaise but that we have <laughs> no mayonnaise yeah but we definitely appreciate you coming on the show and giving us some of your time we know it's valuable we know you got a lot of stuff going on with the kickstarter but we appreciate you um doing this and and we hope that our listeners out there again if you have not backed this kickstarter i can't tell you how much like i can't express to you how much value you're going to get out of this right now so go um go back it uh, I implore you to go back it because it is something that you will not regret and that you'll just be inundated with amazing products. So um, please go check it out. Please go sign up for it. And Rob, we wish you the best. I am got my fingers crossed for this $400,000 uh, stretch goal of lost lands of earth. And I hope we get there soon. I feel so. good about it. So thanks guys so much for having me. Yeah. It's really good to see you again. Yeah. We'll have to Thank do this you again so- sometime soon. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, everybody. And we will see you all at the tables. Have a good night.